The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. Hear my cry, O God, listen to my prayer. To the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. This is a soul in turmoil. What we see here is that a soul is weak. That last word there, my heart is faint, it's weak. It's the, it's the, the sense of that word in Hebrew is the, uh, the life is slowing out. Like there's... It's like a soul is in turmoil. Oh God, you cry. This David is crying to God. He's yelling out. Right? It's a very evocative phrase. Oh God, I'm crying to you. Would you pay attention to me? Right? How many times when I'm my children are trying to buy for my attention, <laughs> trying to get my attention. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm only one person. To the end of the earth, I call to you again. You see that cry, prayer, call. My heart is faint. There is a sense, a deep sense of separation from God. You get that when you look at this, right? Out of the gate, there is something wrong with where he is placed. He is not near God. God is very far away from him. At least that's how he experiences it. And then we see here, verse 2 and a half, 2b, 5. He's looking for a place of safety. Um, listen to these words of how he describes his location through the psalm, right? Lead me to a rock that is higher than, higher than I, for you have been my refuge and a strong tower against my enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. Do you notice? And this is a little bit kind of interesting to notice, but do you notice um, as he works through? Uh, you go to the next slide there. As he works through his place of safety. The words that he uses to describe his location get closer and closer to that. A rock is like he's out in the mountaintop. God, if you lead me to someplace that's higher than me, I'm far away and I need something that's higher up than I am. I need a refuge. I need to be in your tent. I need to be under your wings. There's a sense in which the journey, he's in a journey. That's where we're kind of pulling this journey language from is because David is going through this sense of like, I'm not okay, and to be near you is to be okay, and I need to move closer to you, and I don't even know what that looks like, but I need you to be closer to me, God. And he ends that by saying, for you, O God, have heard my vows, and you've given me the heritage of those who fear your name. God, you have responded to me, you have become my place of safety. That's kind of the second kind of categories. Third thing we want to pick up on here is the final two verses, final three verses, which we've said a soul place, and a king. Prolong the life of the king, verse 6 through 8. May his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. And so I will ever praise, ever sing praises to your names that from before my vows day This reference to Psalm uh, in Second uh, Samuel, we've been reading from Second Samuel in our scripture verses, um, God makes a covenant with David. He says, David, I'm going to make your son last as a king forever. He's going to be a king forever. In Psalm, uh, 2 Samuel 7.16, he says, And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So that's what these verses are referring to. David basically saying, like, you've made a promise for there to be a king, and I want that king to last forever. And in doing that, it, he's calling God and saying, okay, God, this world around me is not okay, and I'm not okay. 
which I think is why he then goes towards this king language, right? He's said, God, um, I feel depressed, I feel anxious, I feel tired, I don't feel right. And so then when he comes to verse 6, I think what he's saying is he's assessing the world around him. I need your presence, God, but if, if I have your presence, but the king can change if the powers of this world could fall apart, then what use is it to be near you? Because it just changes. He's basically saying, like, God, I need something that's going to be assured. I need some stability in life that's going to be permanent. Because the world around me can change, I can change. There's nothing, that's going to, there's nothing stable about me or the world. Only your promise can be permanent. The journey here is of a soul that knows God is both real and is committed. And yet, the soul in Psalm 61 is bewildered with this question. Why? Why am I like this? Why is my existence like this so much? Does that sound familiar to you, the feeling of a dark, of a darkness that seeps inside you? All your energy is gone. You cannot seem to stop living. You are fully bewildered by the way you are. If you ever ask the question, why am I so far from feeling alive? Why do I feel like Half-life. That's what the psalm is about. We've seen these three categories of soul and turmoil, place of safety, and a kingdom program. So what I want to do is just kind of then turn and begin to provide some pastoral questions. What I want to say before we get there is to say, um, I, I'm very respectful of the category of clinical depression. Um, I think that there is a, a very important place of having medical treatment in, in your depression, and so if you feel like a constant depression that is darkness that will not go away, just like if you were walking around and your arm was flapping around because, like, maybe your bones are broken, you should probably see a doctor, right? Um, don't come to your pastor. <laughs> you probably need to get some medical, some professional medical help in working through depression. However, if you did break your arm, and then after you'd gone to the doctor and came and talked to me, and you told me it was because you punched somebody in the face, well, then there's something for us to talk about. <laughs> Why did you punch your brother in the face and break your arm? Let's get the arm broken, fixed first, and then let's work through the other stuff. So these thoughts that I want to provide for you are not in lieu of going to seek medical, like professional medical help. What this is is to try to say we want to, we want to kind of silo in on the spiritual dynamic of what happens in the narrative of internal depression and, and, and sadness that won't go away, and ask, how can we then find a pathway forward that does not exclude those medical components, acknowledges that those can be there, but we just want to focus on this. Is that you guys tracking what I'm saying here? Okay, cool. So some thoughts here on this is that um, we're going to look at two verses that, that capture the same rock language and address some of where I think some of this this depression comes from. At a soul level, not always, but sometimes, the things that fuel our depression are exhaustion and shame. And I say this because passages that sit beside Psalm 61 that we're going to look at, right, um, they help us think through what does it look like to get from verse 1 in Psalm 61, Oh God, where are you? To Psalm, to verse 8, I will ever sing your praises, um, how, how do we get to that place of you're so far from me to you're so good. So um, Isaiah 28, 
Um, Isaiah 28 and 1 Peter 2. Let me read these for us, and I'm just going to note a little bit about these, and we'll keep moving forward. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, right? So you notice here in verse 2 of Psalm 61, he talks about being, Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. I, This is a reference to this verse here, because, again, you keep making reference to Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy 32 mentions the Lord as the rock nine times. And so when the Lord and rock are used, it's a place of God's permanent stability. So what does it say? A precious cornerstone and a sure foundation. This is what that rock the Lord says to us. Whoever believes in me will not be in haste. That is a very strange sentence. I'm going to go to this rock that's going to talk to me and give me assurance in life. And what does that rock say to me? You're not going to be in haste. I'm just not exactly... If, if I were you know, going to talking rocks for assurance in my life, haste is not exactly what I would expect. But I believe what is going on there is that the Lord is saying to us, in the midst of all of the troubles and toils of life, where you need permanence, and it feels like everything around you is break, breaking apart, shifting, and turning over, I'm going to be the type of word to you where you don't have to get, you just don't have to work yourself to God. I'm going to be the type of God to you where you don't have to be I'm going to be the type of God to you that provides rest. Because I really do. I'm permanent and I've got it on control. I'm going to be a type of God for you that allows you to rest and not have to measure up. And then 1 Peter 2. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. Seems like he's quoting the same idea here. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. It's interesting how the same idea gets used and it goes at this direction of the first verse, Isaiah 28, this internal, like, i just got to keep doing, I've got to keep doing, I've got to keep doing. And then in First Peter 2, the internal sense is, he speaks to shame. And shame, now, when we think about, like, guilt and shame, guilt is like, I've done something wrong, like, I've punched my brother. That's the example earlier. Shame is, I am something wrong. Shame is, I can only ever punch people because I am just so broken and bad and horrible. I am this on the inside. That's what shame speaks to. Guilt is like you did something wrong. Shame is you are wrong. That's that sense of feeling shame that we cannot measure up and that we always deserve darkness and despair, that you are the mistake, that you are flawed. It's Shame speaks to what we are as an identity. That's what this is speaking and this rock that God provides for us, this place of refuge and strength, says something to how we feel on the inside about our value, our identity, our worth, and purpose. So, how does this eternal king speak to these different places that we use? How does he speak to these? Right, so we, we continue to see it. You're seeing we're kind of using these the soul, place, king, language, we're kind of circling around these ideas. So we're seeing here in these two psalms, or I'm sorry, these two verses, a soul is being led to a place, the same place, as rock, as stability, this place of goodness, who God is, and experiencing these two different 
commands, or it is two different realities of God, God speaking to our rest and God speaking to our shame. I want to point us here to, to um, Hebrews 4. We're going to kind of pull these together. Uh, through verse 7 in Psalm 61. So Psalm 61 says, May he be enthroned forever as king, and appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. Right? The psalm ends with the king being on his throne, but I don't think this king is speaking to God. This king is speaking to us. This king in the psalm is looking at us and providing these things of what we're looking for. And this is what we see in Psalm 4. Since we have a great high priest, who is passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. We do not have an, a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. That speaks to that Isaiah 28, that you don't have to be in haste. That idea of rest, that you can chill out, that, that God is the one who is, in a certain sense, taking care of things. When he says in Isaiah 28, whoever believes in me will not be in haste, I think that's what Isaiah, or Hebrews 4 here is speaking to. Because to be in haste is just to constantly be having to make things happen. And you just get weak and weary tired and exhausted. And yet here we have, in the midst of that, Jesus saying, he knows what it's like to be weak and exhausted. And yet he was the one, he was the one who was perfectly human for God, without any sin. There's a certain sense in which this speaks not to our exhaustion, but it invites us to rest. It says to our to our weakness and exhaustion, if you have a God who knows what it's like to be at the end of your ropes, who knows what it's like, and yet he himself is our comfort, where we don't have to keep performing. And then to the end of the verse it says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find help in the time of need. See, when we feel depressed, we feel like we are, we should probably not even exist as people who don't really, we just don't measure up to what it means. We just don't measure up to the people around us. We just don't measure up to what we expect for our lives. And yet here we have an invitation to people who need mercy and grace and are given us an invitation of confidence. Um, here. This speaks to our assurance that in the midst of the shame that we feel being human, the shame that comes with the depression that we feel, all of that stuff is met with a comforting, easy ear from God Himself to say, I want you to come. I want you to be assured that you don't have to measure up to get my attention. You don't have to measure up to get anything from me. You don't have to measure up to get my presence with you. In fact, all you need to be is just who you are, where you are, and I'm there. That's what we get in Psalm 61, as we find here in Hebrews 4, is a sense that we have God's presence with us in the midst of our worst experiences. I've been reading a lot of Ruth Haley Barton lately because Peter's my friend, and you know, he's just indoctrinating me in all this crazy stuff. 
I referenced this book from her last week, Sacred Rhythm. She has um, a few things from there that I want to pull out as we kind of close in our sermon. She says this, Your soul is tired and battered. You cannot do anything until you rest. And it may take longer than you think. Peter shared this news last week, and I was sharing some things with him. And I've shared this with us because I think in the midst of our depression, we often think, why can't we just get this fixed now? Why can't we just be better now? It feels like this just suddenly came out of nowhere, and why can't I get unstuck and undepressed and unashamed and all this stuff now? Why can't we just get, you know, an Amazon Prime psychologist two days later now? That's not what we get. Being exhausted, being shamed, being tired, all of these things that kind of fuel the sense of depression that feeds our lives sometimes, it takes time to find healing and hope. It, find, it takes time to work through that and find God's presence renewed among us. So what I want to do is I just want to end with a few thoughts. What do we do with to find a, a pathway forward? How do we find a pathway forward through this um, to experience God's presence anew in this started So the first thing I want to do, um, knowledge is half, I want to just kind of comment on three things. Um, knowledge is half the battle. If any of you are familiar with the 1990s, you will recognize that this is the famous tagline of G.I. Joe. Um, G.I. Joe's had several renditions of horrible movies um, to try to like make it popular. They didn't work out, but I thought this quote was good. Knowing that God gives us words about the very stage of our life where we feel depressed and anxious and tired and exhausted, and he gives us these words, is part of just half the battle of being able to find a pathway forward, saying, okay, this is, God's not embarrassed by my struggles with sadness and depression and all that stuff. He's just not embarrassed. It's not a problem here. So, I think that's the first thing I want to comment, and we're just going to move on. This other category I want to bring up is a category of spiritual friendships. Um, first of all, I think the psalm, the psalm speaks to this kind of in the sense of, here's David talking about his struggles with anxiety and depression, that sort of thing, in the midst of a congregation and saying, I need help. But what is this idea of spiritual friendship? What, what is that? But, um, I have a summary of what spiritual friendships are. <laughs> Bro, this is all your fault. I'm, I'm laughing. I'm just going to acknowledge this in the front. Like, you know, <laughs> we promised we weren't going to do this, but it's funny, you know. So, um, Peter's been getting me on this whole thing of spiritual friendship, and I've been exploring it, and I find it very um, alluring and helpful. But the idea of spiritual friendships is having somebody who walks beside you and understanding your desires for who God is in desiring God himself, it's not intended to be like an exhortation. It's not intended to be a friendship that's based on studying the Bible. It's not intended to be a prayer group. Certainly all those things can be components of it. It's a, it's a relationship where you stand beside each other in trust and acceptance and say, we want to find God together. And we want to find our souls happy together. Peter can speak in the Q&A to kind of like do the correct name I'm wrong and any stuff. But here's a couple quotes from Ruth Haley Barton. And um, Alred of Rouleau, uh, the purpose of journeying together in spiritual friendship is to listen to one another's desire for God, to nurture that desire in each other, and to support one another in seeking a way of life that is consistent with that desire. Or um, Alred of Rouleau, he was um, an English monk 
in the 19th, I'm sorry, the 11th century, 12th century. Super old, super cool guy. No medicine is more valuable, none more efficacious, none better suited to the cure of all our temporal ills than a friend to whom we can turn for consolation in time of trouble and with whom we can share our happiness in time of trouble. All right, the purpose of having spiritual friends is to say to somebody, I need help exploring and finding what my life looks like with God at the center. I need help with that. I need somebody to walk beside me to experience God together. It's somebody that will help you move forward in, in knowing and enjoying who God is. So uh, I have these on the back table. There's a summary of an article I should have asked. Yes. I'm sorry. I should have asked it beforehand, but I kind of put it on the spot. But these are a summary of another article. But the idea here is that as we come out of the pandemic, um, we need to figure out, I think, a way to re-envision our friendships. What does it look like for us to be friends together, to experience God as the center of our life? And honestly, going through these ancient practices is a helpful way of finding a way forward and finding somebody to be our guide in this crazy world. I mean, I think um, this sort of thing is something to explore. It's a, it's a commitment between two people, two or three people, to explore what does it look like to walk beside each other in Jesus' together. I realize I could say more there, and it's probably a bit more confusing. If you have questions, feel free to tag the Q&A stuff. But I put that article in the back as a summary um, and I can send more of it out later as a way of just saying, here's a way forward to find a pathway with other people who explore God's life and presence with you. And then the last thing I want to comment on um, to that list again. So knowing that God cares about us in the midst of oppression, finding spiritual friends to help us find God's presence with us in the midst so that when and if we do face depression. And the third thing is, I think, Sabbath rest. I think this is one of those things where I find myself yearning for more rest and miss this world then is just it's hard to find. It's hard to get. So for example, have you ever thought that it is that our phones amidst the amidst of how helpful they are, our mobile devices and all that stuff, that it just a lot of what it is is just incredibly unnatural. It's unnatural to have thirty five conversations going on your phone at one time. It's unnatural to be standing in a park and to be flipping through sixty minute videos <laughs> or sixty second videos of other people doing other things, other places, right? It's unnatural to be out or to be at dinner with your family and to be worried about your work email. It's unnatural just to be sitting, you know, on your couch and then to be to be watching, you know, unending videos. It's unnatural just to have so much music and stimulation in our lives at all times, constantly. It's unnatural, right? It's convenient and it's fine to relax. But there is a part of it where it is incredibly unhelpful. I think it is unnatural to have, I mean, it, for me at least, I'm just going to say, it's unnatural to have 24-hour news, regular music, constant visual stimuli, and it may be, in fact, exacerbating our depression. Sometimes our depression, just honestly, our body is so dead tired that we just, the only thing it can start to do is just to turn us down. Say we've got to start. We've got to start shutting down a little bit. I think that in many, uh, in a certain sense, our depression may be a result 
of the drone of modern life and soul that is not designed for those things. We're not designed for those things. Those things are convenient and helpful, but those tools can often overwhelm and overstimulate our humanity in a way that we're not designed for. So the reason I bring up Sabbath rest is to say, what would it look like for you in finding a way forward towards a healthy expression of humanity? Turn, turn your phone off for 24 hours. I know that I can't wake up without checking my email. I know that I can't wake up without within five seconds of being awake having to check this or that. You know, so-and-so text me, or my, you know, my family reached out to me or whatever. What if we just said, you know what, I'm going to put an automated message, if this is an emergency, call the police, otherwise I'll talk to you tomorrow. And just be like, I'm going to shut this off because I was made to be human in this exact present moment. God's going to be able to take care of this. And more importantly, I need my soul at rest to be sensitive to who God is. So that as you do feel legitimate depression, you then have the space to be able to say, God, I need to make this journey to you. And some of that journey may be some of that journey, Some of that journey towards finding God's presence in your life may be having deeper, richer friendships. Some of that may just be knowing that God actually does like you and care for you and wants you in His presence. But in the midst of all that, I think what this psalm does is it does give us the confidence and assurance that as we seek God's life-giving presence through our depression, we will find We will find new life. We will find new life. So let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.